the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Before Paul was saved, he was someone who had some power. He was someone who was influential. He was someone who was known, not just in his immediate circles, but in the wider circle of Judaism. But now as a believer and a proclaimer of God's message and as an apostle, he's not going to boast in those things that he used to boast about. Look at verses 9 through 10, also in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, this is not uh, some weird legalistic false religious teaching where if you just kind of uh, uh, fast and be ascetic, then the Lord will bless you with greater things like some sort of ATM. Punch in the right code, you know, beat yourself, uh, stay away from certain things for Lent or whatever it may be, and all of a sudden the Lord's going to bless you and give you what you want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the weaker we are, it highlights the power of Jesus Christ. Right? When my, when my kids want to show me how cool their, their little toy that lights up at bedtime is, I need to turn off the lights for them to see it. I need to turn off the lights so that that light shines brighter. And that's kind of the idea here. You are not strong, you are not mighty, you are not adequate, but sometimes our pride gets in the way. If you realize truly who you are, a sinner saved by grace, turn off those lights, then Jesus Christ's power can shine in your life. And maybe that's part of it, and we'll talk about this more later. But maybe it is, you are so self-confident, you are so arrogant, and that actually keeps you from evangelizing in a way that honors the Lord. Because if you're consumed about self, if you think you're that great, then of course you're going to debate. Of course you're going to argue. Of of course you're going to judge and look down on unbelievers. Of course you're going to worry about what they think. But with Paul, like Paul, we should not have any confidence in our own strength, but in the strength of God. It is, after all, his message, and it is his ministry. We should also have such a high view of God 
and an appreciation for his grace in allowing us to serve him that, as Paul, we tremble in fear before him. You're not going to tremble in a good way. This is not fear of man. You're not going to tremble before God. This is fear of God unless you truly appreciate what he has done and who he is. We should also be concerned for the souls of unbelievers. We should be concerned that they would reject the gospel. Now listen carefully. This is not a confidence in self or a doubt in God's power, but a compassion for the lost, which Christ had an understanding of the reality of hell. Well, I, I want to explain that for a second. Sometimes we get so caught up in the sovereignty of God that we preach the message and we say, well, it's out of my hands. He heard the message. If he doesn't hear it, he goes to hell. If he does, then I'll tell him where to go to church. And that's it. And just just cold, just just stone-faced. The passage we just read, Jesus is not weeping over Jerusalem when he entered because they're going to kill him. He's weeping because they didn't understand. He's weeping because of their lack of repentance. And here is the man who is in control of who gets saved and who doesn't. Guys, we have to love and have compassion. Pray for our enemies. You can weep when someone rejects the gospel and at the same time fully trust and glorify God for his sovereignty and the doctrine of election. There should be a fear that they would reject because you love them. You don't want them to suffer eternally. You don't want them to live the rest of this life outside of the joys you experience as a Christian. But we need to be careful too. We need to beware because it is often in this understanding of our inadequacy that we try to overcompensate by focusing on our eloquence or our delivery. We try to bolster our self-confidence. I can do this. And so again, we, we compensate and try to get rid of the fear of man by doing otherworldly things, which in the end just increases the fear of man or just puts you on the wrong trajectory in the first place. Because look at Paul. What is the result of Paul being weak, fearful, and trembling? Powerful and bold preaching, churches established, perseverance in suffering, and violent persecution because he realized he was inadequate. He, he didn't say, this suffering I don't deserve. He said, hey, this is for the Lord. Who am I to stop now just because I'm in pain, just because they've tried to kill me multiple times, just because they rejected me. He didn't sit there wallowing in self-pity, saying he hurt my feelings. I may lose the job. They're going to spread the word. They're going to make fun of me. They're, no one's going to buy my tents anymore. No, he just was so focused on God, so focused on his own inadequacy, knowing that it was God working through him, that he just muscled through. Paul is, is such a great example to us. In his ministry, his focus and reliance was fully on God. And when we think that others' salvation rests on our abilities, when we think that we can save, we can fall into two related problems that Paul didn't struggle with. Paul didn't deal with these because he knew that it wasn't about his eloquence. It wasn't about his ability to convince or answer questions. We think that way, and when we do, here are two problems you may fall into. 
First, and many of your experiences are already, is you fear man. Of course you're going to be afraid that you're going to mess up or they're going to laugh at you or, they're going to, or you're concerned about reputation or even your job because you think it's all about you. We think we need to convince people. We need to answer all of their questions. We start worrying about our reputation rather than saying, hey, I am just telling you God's message. If you're going to get mad, if you're going to make fun of someone, you go ahead and do that to God because he's a big boy. He can take the heat. It's not about you. Right? You, you don't. You feel bad, but you don't fear man when you are just a messenger handing over a memo to your coworker with good or bad news. It's just the boss. It, it's a memo from the boss. You're just a messenger. Why are you worried? And the second problem you can fall into is if you think it's all about you, if someone does repent and get saved, you can get cocky. We know it was a miraculous work of God, but we are so focused on our abilities and effort that we want to take some of the credit. Oh, praise God. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was really scared, and but I did this, and I did that, and I decided, and I, 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 I. Now, it's different. You know, don't judge people. Don't assume people are being cocky when they explain what they did and give credit to God and say, man, I got... You know, God just helped me do this, and I was clear, and, and I was praying, and God just, hey, that's just more glorifying God. And really, sometimes the, the only one who can know the difference is you and the Lord. So we got to be careful. It is not about you. And when you think it's about you, you can fall into the fear of man, and you can fall into arrogance when people get saved. We need to learn from Paul on both these issues. He did not rely on himself in delivering the message. And so he didn't take the praise when others accepted the message. The messenger is deficient. Fourthly, secondly for today, fourthly, the might, the power, the might is demonstrated. Look at verse four. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, again, it seems Paul is just being repetitive. We get it, okay? It's not about your persuasive words of wisdom. But he is stating this fact again in order in this statement to provide a contrast with what is truly happening here. In other words, it's not within his ability to persuade through worldly wisdom. Rather, the message and preaching was a demonstration of God's power the Holy Spirit's power. Going back to our previous point, Paul highlights his weakness in order to set up his presentation of where the true power lies. The evidence of the Spirit's power is seen in the very existence of Christians in Corinth and Christians anywhere. This is the proof, the demonstration of the Spirit's power, the preaching, the gospel, the work. Paul is weak. He was afraid. He was trembling. Yet a powerful work occurred in Corinth so that those who were once pagans are now children of God. This is the Holy Spirit. It is true that we deliver the message, but it is God's message. And as we have seen, after the message is heard, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that the gospel is applied to the conscience 
re ex uh, resulting rather in acceptance. I always refer to, and I really like this, the, the term ambassador. I think it's because uh, as an expat, when I was living overseas, I, I grew a, a, a deep appreciation for the U.S. ambassador and U.S. embassy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it uses that word, ambassador, as those who proclaim the message. It's fitting. Because if you think of an ambassador living in another country, they're very powerful people. But it is not the ambassador's power. It, it's not in and of themselves. It is the power of the nation that they represent. It is not the ambassador's message, but the message of the president or the king or the prime minister. Without their backing the ambassador, the ambassador is just a man or just a woman, just a visitor, a tourist, an expat. And so it is with Christ and the Christian message. Without his wisdom, we're just speaking nonsense. It is his message. We are ambassadors. It is not about us. He has chosen us. He has commissioned us. He has given us the message to deliver. This is why Paul uses the word demonstration, which again, it means the proof of the power and the Holy Spirit. Now, over and over again in this series and whenever I speak of evangelism, I have told you that you cannot change the heart. You cannot convince someone to accept Christ. This is solely the work of God. And here Paul clearly lays out this particular role belongs to the Holy Spirit. He is powerful. How do we know? The proof or demonstration is found in the message and the preaching of that message. And this takes our attempts at using our own persuasive words to an entirely le different level of foolishness. It's not just, as I've said before, an issue of you being unable to save, but the emphasis on God demonstrating his power through salvation shows that we are playing God whenever we try to convince others through our own wisdom or our own abilities. In so much that God does that in our lives, we take the glory. Somehow, even in the most fundamental but powerful of the works of God, salvation, we take the glory and responsibility for ourselves when in fact it is not ours and never was. You understand that if you struggle with the fear of man, that is pride. That is a, a type of pride. But fear of man in evangelism, I believe, goes beyond pride. It goes beyond the pride that concerns oneself with the opinion of others and says man's opinion is more important to me than God's opinion. I believe that the fear of man in evangelism goes further. And it says, God's ability and glory in salvation belongs to me. Now, I know you don't say that. I know you don't say, I'm going to save this person. I know you don't say that it's your responsibility. But when you fear man in evangelism, part of that is because you think God's responsibility is actually yours. And when you think that you have 
have anything, uh, excuse me, when you think that you have to do anything more than preach the gospel, you are saying that salvation rests on you rather than the power of the Spirit. It's not just the Spirit. I have to convince. I have to answer questions. I have to to give them the Bible's answer on on COVID-19, homosexuality, 9-11, and all those things. No, you don't. No, you don't. It'd be good to to be able to defend your faith, but that's not going to save them, and you can't save them anyway. And, And you know what, guys? Maybe this is just a sign of the times. The whole concept of truth is fluid and subjective these days. We no longer can allow the truth to speak for itself. Everyone has their version of the truth. I mean, look at any legal battle. Lawyers, judges, juries, witnesses. Sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent to discover the truth. Politics in our country have two sides and thus two interpretations of the truth. These past few weeks have shown that Even the objectivity of science is constantly changing as new truth is discovered about COVID-19 and how it's transmitted and how we should protect ourselves. Even history. You would think history is done. Facts are facts. It's done. It's written in the history books. Uh, Isn't that a, a, a saying referring to something that's true and won't change? But now even history is interpreted in ways that men who have been heroes of our nation for a hundred of years, now having their statues torn down, once hero, now villain. But God's truth is the truth. God's truth is timeless truth. You want proof? I'll give you proof. You and me are changed lives through the gospel are a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So let God do it. But why would you, why would you want to add your finite, minuscule, subjective, man-fearing wisdom to that message? The gospel has never changed. It's still the same pure and simple message. And it's never changed because God has never changed. Not, not just his character, but even his will. He's now, he, he, he didn't add works a few years ago. He didn't get tired of grace and say, well, now you've got to earn it. He's never made apologies. He's never changed the way to eternal life. Because if you have to add anything to the gospel, then there's one of two things happening here. You're either not really preaching the gospel, or you are preaching the gospel, and you are ruining it by adding your own wisdom. Don't butt in to the Holy Spirit's work and add to the gospel. Just let him save. The might is demonstrated, and it's not our might. Finally, our fifth lesson for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's preaching. We've seen that the messenger is deficient, the might is demonstrated, And finally, the method is decisive. The method is decisive. Look at verse 5. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. 
This argument that he's been making since chapter 1, verse 18, now comes full circle with this purpose clause. The only safe and secure place to find rest for your faith is not in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Countless false religions and man-made idols attest to this. Faith can only be the product of the work of the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. If it was through man's wisdom, there would be converts through temporal intellectual change, but there would no, be no eternal spiritual change. Further, the message, the messenger, and the convert would be at the mercy of anyone who comes along who is more clever, more wise, worldly wise, or more educated than the first person. And the method of salvation would probably change as everything else that we consider truth from this world changes. Again, the constantly changing theories of science, philosophy, politics, sociology, and even religion all show that this is true. But a word from God, power, faith, unchanging. This is the method. Preach the gospel. This method is decisive. It is the only method that is truly decisive in the sense that it truly brings about eternal life. And so as we have looked over these five lessons, I want you to prepare your hearts even now to be able to evangelize in a way that recognizes the right heart attitude and perspective. The mindset is distinct. The message is direct. The messenger is deficient. The might is demonstrated and the method is decisive. In these unique days, can I give you a few tips? I know that it's already uh, sometimes takes some figuring out how to share the gospel with people at work, because obviously you're paid to work, not to share the gospel. But there are opportunities at lunch, coffee breaks, the proverbial water cooler. It may be harder now because a lot of you are working from home, and so you're on a, 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 a virtual meeting, and people sign on and sign off right away. Maybe you, the manager says, how's everyone doing? And three seconds in, you're, you're starting, and so there's no a way to talk. Can I give you some tips? This is a good time to email people. Email people. If you struggle with, well, why would I email him the gospel when I see him all the time? Now's a good excuse. Drop a note in a neighbor's mailbox. Uh, just as we walk to and, uh, to and from school, we talk with some of the neighbors and they share about some of the issues going on. They're not believers. They're very clear that they're not religious and they don't really want to hear the gospel. But now is a time where I'm uh, dropping notes and saying, I'm praying for you. Let me know if there's anything I can do. And then opening up opportunities to share the gospel, saying a word or verse, preaching the gospel in that note. You know, we often say that uh, people are thinking more about Jesus Christ at Christmas time, and so it's an opportune time to share the gospel. I believe now, more than perhaps any other time in the people's lives, they're open to conversation, community, human contact. All these things you're seeing on, on YouTube, on the news, on Facebook. What's amazing is not just ways that they've, fi they've found to 
still talk to their neighbors or to sing songs with them or, or communicate with them. What's surprising is these are neighbors they've never spoken to before. They didn't even know their names before. And people are open to that. And so one way to serve them is just maybe drop off notes in different people's mailboxes and make sure you wash your hands afterwards when you get home. But drop off things in people's mailboxes and just tell them who you are. Tell them you're a Christian. Maybe throw in a Bible track. Maybe share a verse that has the gospel or something like that. Let them know you're there for them. People are more open to this. Now, I don't want to feed into your fear of man. I'm just saying at a time when you cannot be in physical presence of many unbelievers, then this is a good way to do it. And if you are living with an unbeliever, and maybe they can hear me right now, even better. They're not going anywhere. So share the gospel with them. Sorry, siblings, moms and dads, your daughter, your son, your sibling, your parent needs to do what their pastor just said, and you will be hearing the gospel through the duration of this shelter in place. See, now you're stuck. Now you have to do it. Well, you get the point. First Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.